The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. And if you'd like to turn in your copies of God's Word, and if you're with us and don't have a Bible, you can just turn in that uh, pew Bible. And if you'll turn there, um, you can join us in Matthew and uh, the second chapter And that'll be right there at page 808 is where we'll be. We've been studying the nativity accounts in the life of Jesus. You find them in Matthew and Mark. And um, a couple of them that we've not studied that I want to just read uh, in this, that we haven't studied during this Advent season, I'd like to read for our Christmas Eve meditation tonight. And if you will look with me in Matthew chapter 2. The regal visitors from the east have come. They have brought the regal gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And uh, knowing that Herod was going to destroy them, the Lord sent them home another way to protect them. And um, that only infuriated the attempts of Herod to destroy the Messiah all the more. And we have that account and some things that happened afterwards. Uh, Listen to these. Just think through this, what you're hearing that happened in this nativity and this, these birth nativity accounts. Look in chapter 2 and verse uh, 13. Now when they, that is the regal visitors from the east, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he arose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to In a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a a Nazarene. For those of you who are visiting with us in our Advent season this year, uh, in our study of the 
birth narratives in Matthew and Luke, I've asked us to look at in this context. Uh, no news, good news. 400 years of silence. And then God speaks forth good news. That's why the first four books of your New Testament, when that silence is broken, are called the Gospels, the good news. That Christ has come to save us from our sins. But in the opening divine revelation from the throne of God, leading up to the birth of Christ and surrounding the birth of Christ, were angelic messengers from the throne of God giving direction. They There were six such angelic messages. We've studied four of them. The message to Zechariah and Elizabeth that the closing prophecy of the Old Testament that God would send one before the coming of the Messiah was about to be fulfilled through their providentially miraculous birth, even though they were beyond the year of giving birth, that they were going to bring forth a child who would be the fulfillment of the one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then the angel Gabriel, having having given that message to Zechariah and sending it on to Elizabeth, now comes to Bethlehem and uh, and delivers a message to Mary that she is the appointed mother. Though a virgin, she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring forth the Messiah. And she was told not to fear, but to embrace this calling of the Lord. And then... As Joseph finds out about this and is determining what to do, an angel then comes to Gabriel, uh, to Joseph. And uh, we don't know whether it's Gabriel or not. Gabriel came to Zechariah and came to Mary. But this, this angel is nameless for us. But the angel comes and tells Joseph, don't be afraid of your calling. You're the adopted father. The divine or or the divine decree is that he would be the adopted father. This one of the line of David would now marry one of the line of David, and that's Mary. And so you are to keep her a virgin, and you are to protect her, your betrothed. And you are to bring forth with her. You are to have and care for this one who comes from the tribe of Judah and the line of David. And so uh, the angel's not through yet. The angel is also going to give a message on the night of Christ's birth to the shepherds and then joined by a host of angels. And now you've just read two more angelic messages. After the destruction of the innocents, the angel told Joseph to take Mary and the child into Egypt. And then uh, and then when he he is then instructed by the angel to come back and further warned not to stay in the land of Judah. Now, as I've been doing all of the study and laying out the chronology of this for us, this entire Advent season, and thinking about Christmas Eve, I couldn't help but come back to these texts and say, now, please don't hear this uh, uh, any way irreverent at all. But as I look at the birth and childhood narratives in Matthew 1 and 2 and in Luke 1 and 2 about Jesus, I realized I had something in common with Jesus, and that is our daddy moved around a lot. I I realized I had something in common with him. At a young age, our daddies moved around a lot. So was Joseph a vagabond? 
uh, because of all this moving, uh, someone rootless and not ready to sit down roots. And um, I remember that word vagabond, one of the reasons I chose it, because I remember when my mother told my dad uh, it was time for us to get back to Charlotte, North Carolina. I feel like a, I remember my mama, but you're, I feel like a vagabond. Well, I didn't know what a vagabond was. It just didn't sound like to me too good of a thing. So was he a, is he a vagabond or is he a pilgrim following the word of God with confidence in the call of God and the power of God? Vagabond or pilgrim? If you don't mind, I'll further the, uh, uh, when I was born in Charlotte, um, um, I was born into a family that came out of uh, what's called the mill towns of uh, Augusta, Georgia. And so my family, my dad was the first one in my family to ever graduate from high school. And nobody in my family until my dad had ever owned a piece of real estate, much less an entire home. And uh, so uh, that was just that, that nobody owned anything. And my granddaddy moved a lot. And um, and so um, and and that's the kind of way it started out in my life. When I was four years old, uh, we left Charlotte, moved to Kannapolis, North Carolina, and then we turned around and moved back to Charlotte, and then we moved to Derrida, North Carolina, and then we and then we left Derrida and moved back to Charlotte, and then we left Charlotte and we went to Atlanta. All that started when I was four years of age, and then we went to Atlanta, and then we left Atlanta and moved to Dothan, Alabama, and then we left uh, Dothan, Alabama and moved to Waco. My dad. I was in baseball, and we went to uh, uh, Waco, Texas, and then we moved from there to Greensboro, North Carolina, and then we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and then we moved to North Charleston, South Carolina, and then we moved to Charleston, South Those are two different places. Then we moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and then we um, Dad got another place in, uh, uh, that he was uh, supposed to go, and that was Newberry, South Carolina. My mama said to him, said, um, Reader, that was their, he, they called it, he, she called him by his last name. She said, Reader, um, I don't want to be a vagabond. I'm moving everywhere. Let's get back to Charlotte. And so the next thing I know, we're back in Charlotte, and I'm now eight years old. That all happened four years. And I took a look at just following Jesus. He's in his mother's womb. And in the ninth month, they leave, they're in Nazareth, and they leave Nazareth, and they go to Bethlehem. And they're there anywhere from a couple of months to two years. And uh, they already live in two places. They start out in a stable, and then they move into a house. So you've got Joseph in Nazareth, and then you've got him going to Bethlehem in a stable, don't know how long, probably a week at the most. And then he goes from a stable, and by the time the wise men get there, he's in a house. And we don't know how long he's there, likely up into two years, since Herod's attempt to destroy the child was to kill anyone up to two years of age. So anywhere from a couple of months up to two years, he's in Bethlehem in this house. And then he's warned and he's told to take the mother and the child because of the treachery of Herod that's about to fall upon Bethlehem. It's really interesting. Uh, I have, when I take the people to Bethlehem, I'm able to take them to the cave uh, that contains literally uh, 50, somewhere between 75 to 150 skeletons of children 
that they say in Bethlehem are the skulls and bones of the innocents that were destroyed. I feel very odd when I stand there and look at that. It's right outside and right next to the church of the nativity there in Bethlehem. But he's warned to leave, and so he goes down into Egypt in obedience to God's word. So in obedience to God's word, he's living in Nazareth. In obedience to God's word, he goes to Bethlehem. And in obedience to God's word, he goes to Egypt. And then the angel tells him it's time to go back because Herod the Great is dead. So he comes back to the hill country of Judah. And then he is warned and sees the treachery of Archelaus. And Archelaus, if you think Herod the Great was paranoid and treacherous, uh, Archelaus, when he, he, he made it, he learned a lot from his daddy and multiplied the treachery. In fact, one of his opening acts was to kill 3,000 people just to tell everybody, don't cross me. 3,000 Israeli men were killed. Hebrew men were killed. And so he doesn't stay in the hill country. But now take a look where he, just in this brief time. From the birth of, from the birth of Jesus, from the, from the conception of Jesus in the womb of the virgin, and then about six months later, Bethlehem is stable, and then some days later, Bethlehem a house, and then to Egypt, and then somewhere from three months to about a year, they, they, um, they then leave Egypt and they come back to the hill country, where they're there only for a short time, and then they end up back in Nazareth. <clears throat> now, how are we to see that? Well, obviously, he's not a vagabond. I think there's two things I would just give you as a meditation as we go to our time of lighting the candle, the Christ candle, and sharing that with each other. I'll just give you two thoughts that struck me about it. I think you're seeing two things. Number one, you're seeing the work of God's grace in Joseph and in Mary, so that whenever God's word comes, they obey and they follow. You see a fearless faithfulness. Do you remember what what the angel said to Mary when he told her what her calling was to be? Don't fear, Mary. Don't fear. And she said, behold, your maidservant. Let it be done to me according to your word. You remember what he said to Joseph? Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. For that which is within her is not there by immorality. It is there by the unique conception of the virgin. And keep her a virgin that she gives birth as a virgin. And you do that, Joseph, and do not fear. So if I was to ask you, why was... Joseph in Nazareth, small businessman, very small town. Why is he there? Here's why he's there. Not only do you see, now please get this, the first principle I want you to get. They're moving not out of irresponsibility, but out of obedience. And when God's word sends them, they go. But there's something else I want you to see. Not only do you see the God-given, God-grace-produced fearlessness of obedience in Mary and Joseph to the Lord. The second thing that you see is the immutable 
faithfulness of God to his word. If I was to ask you, why are they in Nazareth? You'd say, well, I guess he's got a job. No, no. He's in Nazareth because the scripture said that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not leave the tribe of Judah. And the scepter shall not leave the tribe of Judah. And the Messiah will not only be from that tribe, he will be from the line of Jesse and David. And he would be, he would be the heir to the throne of David. And what do you have in Nazareth? The two heirs of the throne of David. Two heirs to a forgotten line of a king. And God has them right there in Nazareth. Why do they go to Bethlehem? You'd say, well, Pastor, Quirinius, the go- Quirinius Publius, he was the new governor. And Rome has now said, we got to get some registrations for taxation and know who's where. So he got the first registration. So they went to Bethlehem in obedience uh, to be submissive to their rulers, to pay their taxes and to be registered. That's why they went there. Yes, and you'd be right. They're faithful. They're fearlessly faithful. Even in the closing days of her pregnancy to go there but why else are they there they're there not because of a registration they're there because the scriptures hundreds of years before in Micah said blessed are you Bethlehem Ephrathah for the Messiah Emmanuel will come from you And why is it that they're there in that stable? Because of obedience to God. Yet, as he's making the best provision he can, it's actually fulfilling a hundreds of year old prophecy. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we'd be born in Bethlehem. And Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the virgin shall give birth. And you will call his name Emmanuel. Even before that, in Genesis 3.15, a woman will have a seed. A virgin will have a seed who will defeat Satan. And then why are they there in that house? They are there in that house To be obedient to the Lord in Bethlehem, where the regal kings will come with regal gifts, and then Herod will come as Satan through Herod seeks to destroy the seed of the virgin. And that's fulfilling another prophecy in Jeremiah 31, Rachel in Ramah, that's Bethlehem is weeping over her children. And then that sends him to Egypt. Why is he in Egypt? Well, he's protecting his wife as the in obedience to God's word. And you're right. But my dear friends, something more. He's going to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 22. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Do you realize that the entire movement of the nation of Israel out of Egypt up to the promised land 
was there to point to the coming of the Messiah who would deliver us from our sins. Out of Egypt will I call my son. It is fulfillment of God's word. And when he resides to the hill country and sees, I can't stay there. I got to move again. Where does he go but to Nazareth? That fulfills the word of the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, that's just my simple thought for you. And my question. When God's word calls you to worship, to witness, to be a godly man or woman, not to earn your salvation, but to glorify your Savior, will you rely on the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in fearless faithfulness? That's obedience that moved them from place to place. And do you know that all of it, Quirinius, a governor of who? Rome, prophesied by who? Daniel. And so why is Quirinius in place to give a decree? The sovereign hand of God, moving nations, Assyrians, Babylonians, Medo-Persians, Greeks, and then Romans. God moves heaven and earth. His word will never fail. The reason they're there is obedience enabled by God's grace out of love to Christ who has come to redeem us. And why are they there? God's word is being fulfilled in every single move. Hear this. Thy word is truth, and it is never broken. So if you come to Christ today, or if you've come to Christ, and his word says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Truly, truly, he who believes in me has eternal life. Know this, God's word is true. And it is fulfilled in Jesus. And when you follow him, know this, no matter where he leads you, as you're obedient to his word, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the moments we could be in your word tonight. Would you speak to our hearts and fill them to overflowing with the confidence that is found in Jesus? Give us by the Holy Spirit. And we confess we so easily falter. That's why I'm asking this. Please start with me. Give us a fearless faithfulness to your word, no matter where it takes us. And Jesus, would you give us an unbreakable confidence that you will always fulfill your word? And be with your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, 
Or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.